Welcome to episode four of the Here With You podcast. Today, we are doing something a little bit different. Um, I'm with Errol Stevenson, otherwise known as Dad, otherwise known as the battle between Grandfather and Poppy. Uh, <laughs> we're, um, yeah, we've... Um, I'm doing something a little bit different here. It's uh, We're not camping, but we are in the Jayco. I've got a little setup going on in here. And um, yeah, it's something something a bit different. Um, just been to the beach with a uh, little bloke. Um, so probably should talk the date. The date is the 4th of January, 2023. How, what's, how, is, how is your Christmas and New Year's, Dad? Very good, very good. Um, two... 2022 is not a good year for me for sickness, but uh, in every other respect, it was very good. Mm. So, um, but no, it was a lovely Christmas, and I got to see everybody, which is good. And uh, New Year was very relaxing. Yeah, it's good. I, I had a very, very chilled out New Year this time. We were home. I was in bed by 10:30 this year. I think that's the joys of having a newborn in the house. And also, to be honest, it wouldn't have surprised me if I didn't like. Um, plenty of there was you know fireworks and dogs don't mix and last year we had some dramas we got some calls from the neighbors um 21 to 22 about saying dogs are losing their mind in the backyard and i'm like because of the fireworks i was like okay they had a key can you let them in and and we'll come home we'll come home so we did but this year we did it off our own bat just as a bit of a just in case um even though we'd actually left the dogs in all night, had the block out shutters down, all that good stuff. But New Year's was really good. Spent this year at the um, Harris's and the Wings house in two separate uh, things. But yeah, all very good. So, Dad... We had Romeo and Malachi with us and Romeo had just gone to sleep at about 10.30 maybe. Do you want to um, explain who Romeo Romeo and Malachi are? like twin grandsons, um, Elia's son... David's the father of them. Yeah. And Seca. And uh, Malachi and Romeo, um, one of them was sound asleep. The other one had just was going off to sleep when a huge firecracker went off right outside our door. Yeah. And he woke up very upset. But when the big ones went off an hour and a half later, he was soundly asleep. Didn't worry him at all. Yeah. Um, so the one of the thoughts behind doing this podcast, and I think we've mentioned it before, is... I love the idea of recording people's stories and I'd wished that, you know, with some of the family that isn't, isn't, yeah, isn't with us anymore, like Nan and like, I wish I'd had the opportunity because love talking to Nan. She was just, you know, a joy to talk to, always, always interesting, always, you know, looking after people, but always, always had interesting things to talk to and interesting ways of looking at life. And I've always thought, um, I, We've heard, I've heard her, you know, some preaching tapes and stuff of hers around that you go, okay, that's, you know, history right there. But there's something to people actually kind of telling their story where they came from. And we, we had, um, we had Elaine's funeral, um, just recently at the end of last year. Um, I find that, you know, people come in and they, there's like this, not a wrap up, but a um, a summary of their life. You know, yes. you, you're never going to get that in a whole thing. But it's just, I find it v- like really interesting listening to that history. But sometimes I think it'd be much like you know, 
instead of waiting till people have dropped off the perch, we need to kind of appreciate them while they're here and, you know... Get them to express it in their own words. Yeah, and that's... What they went through. Well, exactly right. And so, like, I've... We, you and I have actually done this before, before I actually had started this version of the podcast, and I've actually got that floating around somewhere, but um, we're probably going to go over all that stuff again. But that was that was quite a few years ago now. That was probably at least three years ago, I'd imagine. Yes, like, yeah. Actually, I think I can tell you, it would have been before 2017. Right. Like, that's that's how yes. I can tell you, because the, the couches we had at the time... Um, went like because I, I was teaching um, and I had these couches in the garage that I took to Cessnock Public School where I was teaching at the time and then when I left Cessnock Public School they stayed there and eventually got thrown out um, so that is at least six years ago so that's yeah. how long ago that was and I'm probably going to f- dig that out and f- and find it and maybe even rehash it and put it up on, on this feed so that exists as well so if we go over some old ground so be it but um we did a short uh, we did one with lauren we did we actually had we've done a year. we've done a couple actually and it was funny because one i didn't end up getting to use which was a real shame but we did the farm life one which mm-hmm. were you were you were part of that one and um we did one where we spoke about the um the our wedding but unfortunately that one just was unsalvageable so we will have to probably come about that and try and do that yeah. again at some point with Loz. we'll get her um involved in that but uh yeah so it's we've already you've already been a a part of a couple of these podcasts and um yeah and we'll we'll go again so i want to i want to go back i want to start like you know where does where does the errol stevenson story begin like we're kind of let's go back to what it was like being a kid for you Where, where were you born for where and when were you born for I was born in Sydney when my family was living in Waverley in the eastern suburbs. Um, we moved when I was about two to Nowra, hmm. and that's where I've got my earliest memories. Yeah, yeah. My very earliest memory that I can put a date on was standing in either Dad or Yvonne Callanan's arms outside the hospital window, because in those days they didn't let children into the maternity ward because they carried germs. <laughs> And we stood outside and looked at my mum holding baby Peter. Now, he was born when I was two mu- two years and four weeks. So I was two years and one month old when we stood outside that window. And I can remember standing there and seeing my mum holding up the baby and waving to us. Yeah, wow. So um, that's I've got other memories from Nara, but they could have been three or four years old. But that's right. the first one that I can actually put a date on. Yeah, okay. Um, it's funny with little. We moved out of there when I was about four and a half. Moved back and lived in Newtown with my um, grandmother, with Auntie June and Auntie Maureen. Uh, shared the house with them. Very big house in Newtown. But uh, the other memories from from Nara. Twenty years later, I could remember the layout of the house. The only thing that was when I went back to look at it, how much smaller it was than <laughs> it seemed when you were three years old. It's amazing, isn't it? How yeah, I don't think I've um, been back to any of the places like other than the farm, obviously, which I would have been about four years old when I went there. But like, lived there until I was what twenty. Six or, seven. Six or twenty-seven yeah. or something. Twenty-three so, years. We so it's there. funny when I left that place, I already had 
you know, an adult's perspective of it. So it's not like I could go back and see it as a kid again. Um, yeah, okay, that's interesting. So you said your first memory was seeing Peter being born, and that's like, I guess, the the end of the the children in that family. Like, there's, yes. there's no no younger than Peter. Peter's the youngest. Um, so tell us about the family at that, that stage. So my dad was working, uh, trying to start a, uh, starting a church in the Nowra area, um, but he was also working as a travelling salesman. So he used that as his base and went to places like Canberra and Goulburn. Um, we'd go away for a few days during the week and then come back to run services on the weekend. Um, and uh, we had my oldest brother, who is eight years older than me, um, and my sister, who was three years older than me. And uh, Howard almost finished primary school, I think, down there, and, and had done a year of school mm. down there at least. Um, maybe two, actually. Maybe two. All right. Because we came back to Newtown, and I started school at Newtown uh, Australia Street Public School in Newtown. And so I started kindergarten and ended third class there. Okay. In so, Newtown. Yep. In Newtown. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah, that's the, and yeah. And Howard went to Fort Street High School. Right. So um, Nan and your namesake, Errol, father. Yeah. And the four kids. Four yes. Kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what, well, let's, let's get into that a little bit. Let's get into relationships with different siblings. Because obviously being the second, no, third, you were the third, third. weren't you? And yeah. Howard, both older than you. Um and then Peter, uh, two, a couple of years younger. Yeah. Um, let's, let's start, let's, let's go top to bottom. Let's go, what was like, you know, relationship with like a, a brother who was eight years older than you growing up? Well, for Peter and I especially, but even for Anne, who was five years younger than Howard, um, the big brother's the hero, you know, particularly that much bigger. And he could do anything. Um, I was not close enough to, to be like Anne. Anne had to be able to, when she was three years old, apparently do everything Howard did, which was always a bit of a worry. When he had a shed at the back, I can kind of remember it, but it had a sloping roof, and they could climb up on it on the fence and then get on it, and then Uncle Howard, well, Howard when he was a child, um, what's that, uh, 10 years old, would roll down and off the side of it, so Anne at five years old would do the same. So that was... Um, I've got good memories from um, from there. The other memory I can remember, Peter crawling under the house, taking the cat's food and, and <laughs> chewing on it, just out of reach of where Nan could get him under the house. So that was a good three weeks ago that Pete was eating yeah. cat food? Or? <laughs> still, probably still, still doing yeah. it, still eating cat yeah. food. But he was um, had a mischievous look in his eye and he knew that he, you know, he, there he was chewing on this bit of meat that was put out for the cat. <laughs> I can still remember him doing that. I also remember the time that Howard and, and um, my mum were in the the woodshed because we had a um, uh, a, a um, wood kitchen stove. I think a heater in the other room as well. Um, so they were in the woodshed collecting wood, and Peter had somehow got into the car and released the handbrake and got it out of brake, and it, and it rolled about five metres down down a slope. And rolled up into the into the woodshed, and I remember Howard and Nan scurrying up the back of the woodshed. 
so that was um, a memory. Mm. So, um, so how old was your hero? Eight, you said eight years older. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's that's a that's a big difference at as a kid growing up. And yeah. you said Anne was five years older. Anne's Anne's three years older. Oh, three five years, years older than, than you. Her. So okay, yeah. so you've got a so, big biggest big sister, but not ridiculously big sister. So as a you know. How was how was how was that relationship? What was that? Like? Well, that was terrific because she had two little brothers, and um, you know, used to put Peter in her, when he was a, a toddler and a baby in her pram. I can imagine he would have uh, reeled and crawled out like crazy because he was a very active child, um, which probably surprises nobody. But um, the main thing with Anne um, is Anne used to come home from school with her songs and her stories and her storybooks and tell them all to me. And I used to absorb them like a sponge. And uh, remember, um, Pastor Joe Brigham, who was the man who dedicated me, and he was down visiting us, and used to sit me on his knee, and I'd tell him the stories, and I'd tell him how you know Mary had a little lamb, and he'd go, "No," I said, "Yes, yes, he did, yes, he did, <laughs> he really did, no, she yes, really he did. really did, yeah." <laughs> so I mean, I was told about that later on with him, but um, and he used to, yeah make him laugh his head off type of thing which is great but uh yeah i i think i learnt um words and stories and and uh numbers from Anne um because you know she'd come home it was she had a ready audience and i would just absorb everything that she had to tell me you know and it was a terrific start really mm, like a nice little um probably good for both of you to be honest like um there's nothing like teaching something to learn it properly so if Hands yeah. coming home and telling you all of it, so all of a sudden that, uh, you know, school knowledge is being passed down and um, numbers became a, a big thing in your life. Um, a lot of your work is based around numbers. Numbers, and, yeah. yeah. And maths and, and tax and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. Um, so lastly, I guess, Pete, younger brother. Yeah. Sounded like he was a bit of a mischievous character even as a kid. Like, full of but, mischief and so when we went to bed and we always slept in the same room until we left home um we shared shared the same bedroom with howard until he left home uh and um and being the girl had the other bedroom there always seemed to be someone staying there another girl staying there you know yeah um but uh yeah so we sh shared the same room um often we had friends over and uh, as we were growing up the room at liverpool was pretty big and usually had an extra person sometimes five people you know when did when did you get there. to liverpool like we can we can double back but when did you get to liverpool so we at liverpool we uh, my dad came to newtown to pastor the yeah. church there in in um 1960 and he was there for just under two years so how old would have that have made you at the time so i was uh, and i did my first full year of school there okay. so i would have been four when we went there right right and uh, just turned six as we left and moved to Liverpool, where he ministered with my mum until he died in 1977, when I was 20. So, so when did you go to Liverpool? So 1962. And was that the um, is that the property on Flowerdale Road? That's the one on. So Flowerdale that's Road. just been the only place in Liverpool that kind of Nan never lived. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So when she was there, they was just settled in, and that like that house is um, no longer no longer there anymore. But it was a been replaced by a Serbian Orthodox church, but, but the church a, is still there. And, but and, it was a uh, very, very old 
house. It was ready to go. It was falling apart by the end. It's a, it's a bit sad because it did have so much history. But um, yeah, that's that house is just like, you know, housed so many stories and so many and generations. It stayed together because it was made of very hard hardwood. Yeah, as we all found whenever we tried to put a nail in the wall. <laughs> um, so that it was yeah, and it was pretty much jack built. It was built by non-professionals, a lot of it. Wow. A lot of the additions had been on put onto it. And my parents changed it a lot. Um, I can't exactly remember the bathroom, but it must have been a terribly old-fashioned bathroom when we went there. Um, but that's one of the first things they did is renovated the bathroom and then knocked down one of the chimney stacks with the uh, the fireplace for uh, the oven. When we moved, there was a, uh, a fireplace. Hmm. Um so they removed that and that, that allowed them to make the, the sunroom, as it was called, into a, into a laundry and uh, put a new kitchen in. And um, so given that's now um, 60 years ago, yeah, that was right. done, um, it would look very old-fashioned now. Uh, but at the time, it was kind of a, quite a big update for the old house, um, which had a... Um, a timber deck veranda right across the front with um, a lattice work up and uh, a um, fibro attached. My dad tried to remove it and he couldn't remove it until one after one Sunday afternoon it got hit by lightning and ripped the thing off and so uh, that that allowed the uh, front of the house to be remodeled. Yeah, wow. So I remember that. Um the front of that house with the um, like the old white columns. Yes. Yeah. And just, I swear there was times later in the point that I was concerned they were going to come down or cracked or, but they were like really very cool. Like I don't know the old the stairs. It was just a, even as a teenager and younger, we used to just hang out on those front stairs. Like while church was yeah. you know in and around church, we'd just go and sit over there on the little um the what do you call them like the not railing they're not really railings are they they were cement like sides to the stairs and then they had little blocks at the front that were just perfect height to kind of sit on yes um and yeah just the front of that house it really i mean the hot to be honest everything about that house sticks out to me there's so i could i reckon could go over that with a fine tooth comb and tell you every little thing I remembered about that house from yeah. like holes in the floor at times, looking through to the dirt at the floor and just finding that fascinating when the carpets had been pulled up. Um, you know, the the back area with the shed and the basically the driveway that we used to play cricket on. Yes. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually curious about that kind of thing growing up there so how old did you say you were there when you moved into there so i think the house itself i was six but so you i think the house itself was built in about the 1870s mm. uh when we were little children there was an old couple pulled up in a little morris minor and they were in their 80s and they um remembered so this was 1962 or three they remembered the house being built and they said the fellow built the house and took his bride into that house um, when they were little children. Mm. So that took you back to the 1880s. So it would be 140 years old now. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. And it got to 130 before it was knocked down. Yeah. And, repl- and uh, replaced by the Serbian Orthodox Church. So m- my, my thought was that it's, you know, 
by the time you're kind of starting to embrace life, I suppose, at six years old, obviously you're still growing at that stage and learning things as you go. But you get to six, you'd be, you've started your school journey, you've started, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, all the stuff. Because I know, obviously, you're heavily involved with the church right next door. Um, at least you didn't have to travel too far to go to church in the mornings on, on a Sunday. But um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, what, do, what did life look like, you know, being... Because obviously you were at Liverpool for a long time up until you got married. Um, yeah. So that would have been from what, six till 23? Did you get married at 22? 22 and a half, yeah. So that's a solid amount of time at a homestead. Um, yeah. I, I was actually talking to Lauren about the importance and how important that ends up becoming. Like, well, So not even... Well, like, my mum was there until she went into a nursing home. And she she owned it until she died in 2008, so uh, that was still the old homestead in the in the family mm. uh, for all that time. Yeah, and it's funny because we've had a couple of them. Like we were lucky enough to have the Hoxton Park. Like, 23 years. Yeah, exactly. Like and like years, I yeah. was four when I went out there, and like we kind of talked. I was kind of 26 when we all left as a family. But you know, in yeah. between that, I'd. I'd been to Melbourne and Canberra and um, so I'd been around a bit but that was always there to come home to even if it was just visiting. I mean, I ended up coming back and living there before we all eventually moved out again. But um, I I think that's not necessarily a must-have as a kid but geez, it's valuable. Geez, it's valuable to have a place like that that you call home, that you're comfortable, that, um, you know, that's your home. Like yes. and it's always home, no matter. So I, I imagine even you know years after you left Liverpool as a, you know a married man, that mm. still would have felt like home. Oh yes, yeah. It was it was always the the base, you know, because whatever my mum was there. Um, my dad died um, when I was twenty, so a couple of years before I got married. Um, so he wasn't around from that time on but um, you know it had been the place my parents had always been they'd been married for 32 years and half of their married life that was uh, was at that place and uh, so it certainly was you know one of the long time residences we also of course had um, up until 1979 only June lived in the house that we'd actually lived in I'd lived in for nearly two years as a a, um, three and four year old three to four year old um, but that had been her mother's house, and then she'd bought it off a mum um, in Horden Street, Newtown, uh, and and so that was like a, a place that had been in the house for a similar kind of time, you know, forty, fifty years. By the time she sold it, it's funny because it seems to be like there seems to be so many less homeowners these days. Like because back in the day, you know house was affordable mm. um, I think we were very lucky to buy this place and I'm quite happy to stay here for as long even if it means changing the house up but um, at Charmhaven um, but you know I think it was obviously easier to not have to not be moving because you owned your place you yeah. know what I mean like with renters it's such a um, it's such a it's not explosive but like tumultuous you never know when the owner's going to say oh no well we're going to sell it now or we're going to up the rent to something you can't afford or we're just going to do that you know what i mean like yeah. you never 
you're never comfortable where you are and you you so you always hear about people moving from place to place to place as renters and having to find a new place because of whatever's going on with that house not being theirs um so yeah i i think to have somewhere that you can be settled and for the long term is just incredibly valuable so even even other parts of the family too because you know we were very close to our family always so the house at newtown was like home central for um our mum and her one year younger sister Auntie Elaine um and both her younger sisters and brothers had grown up there or had mm. been there for had lived there mum and Elaine didn't really grow up there they'd been at other places before that but it had been in the family since they were living there as teenagers um and that it kind of gives that stability but then um yeah most of the family I mean Elaine moved and a number of times at one stage they had the house in Toronto which was an old house probably even older and that was knocked down to build the Toronto Foursquare Church mm. uh, but then she lived in a place for a long time at Burrigal and so you know the Mortimers had a, a, a home central mm. um, even though some of them had already left home by then um, and then Bernard lived in it until just a few years ago so but then that house has gone from the family now so you know you've got get these things whether you get homesteads uh uncle john had a house for all my growing up years it was at dundas and then sometime i'm not quite sure how old it was they sold up and bought a caravan and became gray ghosts you know gray tourists i'm not sure if you can hear the thunder on the um on the uh on the on the recordings but it's a interesting way to do a podcast during a thunderstorm in a van but um, it's it, real thunder. It's not, it's it's, not sound effects. It's not sound effects. Just to emphasize your points. Yeah. Um, um, a few things we could go back to. Then there's, there's there's heaps. I guess one of those things about a mm. kind of life story going through. It's that can bounce around a lot, and we'll see how we go with that. But let's go back. You said you you lost your dad two week uh, two years or so before you got married. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your dad was quite a young man. He was only in his 50s? 53. 53. Nearly 54, yeah. Tell, tell us about that, like, because um, I, I, it was very sudden, I believe, and like, kind yeah, of totally un- unexpected, unexpected yeah. which... Well, I was sitting four rows behind him in church, and Nana was sitting next to him, uh, your Nana, was sitting right next to him with Brad in her arms. Mm. And um, we had a visiting speaker, a uh, family that was out from Scotland, visiting their... Um, daughter um, and grandchildren who were members of the church and he'd been there with us for about a month and then he, he was up to speak as the guest speaker he was about 10 minutes into his sermon and my dad um, his head dropped back and he was by the time I got to him uh, a few seconds later he was gone um, so that was quite a it's the first time I'd ever seen anybody die every time mm. first time I'd ever seen an actual um, body yeah yeah right and um, and Dr. Rawl, who was our doctor, he, he lived um, at five minutes' drive and he seemed to be there in about eight minutes trying to revive him. Mm. There was a um, registered nurse there tried to revive him, but there was no reviving. He'd gone um, in an instant. So it was a very, um, uh, really traumatic time. Um, but I had a piece about it. You know, I just um, always wanted to raise the dead, but... And I actually asked God, is this the chance? You know? Yeah. And, he's, and he said, no, 
I've taken him home. Yeah. And uh, um, you'd question God's judgment, you know, when you know, because it seemed that he was really just coming to the peak of his ministry, you know. Um, going back to those days, particularly in, in the Pentecost, you didn't have a, a seminary, you didn't have a, a Bible college. Um, so when he was coming through, they, they learned by just having going to Bible studies and had to learn the hard way. They had, didn't have um, experienced Pentecostal church uh, uh, seniors who knew how to run a Pentecostal church because they hadn't been. You know, they'd come up in the very early days of Pentecost in Australia. Um, and so it was not an easy thing and he'd really just got to a stage where he, you know, like really knew what he was doing, had a good congregation, uh, seemed to be at the peak of his ministry in terms of his ability to speak as well as lead. Um, he'd become quite an accomplished speaker by that stage and he had a very good singing voice. Um, he was like my brother Peter and my son Michael <laughs> in that he just me. Um, was just couldn't help playing music, you know. And he'd sit down after a hard time, a hard, hard day, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, he'd pull out his accordion or sit at the piano and he'd just play and sing. Um, and um, he'd write music. And um, there's a, he wrote a love song for my mum when he was young called My Sweet Senorita. And um, we used to love to get Dad to play it for Mum and she'd get very embarrassed. You know? <laughs> in front of the family, in front of people. But one time, oh, probably 10 years after he was gone, we were sitting around again with our wives by this stage and, and children, um, with mum in her lounge room. And we started to sing it and the three boys all knew all the words. The three of us all knew all the words, you know. Um, so it was a very um, sweet but sad romantic uh, moment for my mum, you know, that all her boys knew this love song that her late husband had uh, written for her 30 or 40 years before that's, at that time. That's lovely. Yeah. That's a really lovely story. Um, but absolutely, like, absolutely sad that, you know, it's always sad when someone feels like they've gone too early. And, like, um, that's funny because I, 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 I don't. I, I look, at the, look at the church these days and I'm almost embarrassed by it, to be honest. Like, I spent 30 years in and around church and as a professing strong Christian and these days I'm just agnostic. I don't, but I definitely don't, you know, espouse to what the, the way the church does things. I, I don't, I'm quite, quite on front street. I don't like it, but I came to this thing, I came to this thought when we were in um, Adelaine's funeral. funeral. Yeah. And there was just something about how that generation lived, yeah. how kind of pure and giving, and maybe, look, maybe it wasn't everybody, maybe we were just lucky enough to be in a family that um, really kind of practiced what they preached and really lived it. In they, were, they were really, um, they were very much like Salvation Army in their approach to ministry and to life. Um, and the modern... Um, Pentecostals have been criticised a lot for the prosperity doctrine where, you know, the pastor is not successful unless he's driving a fancy, very fancy car and living in a very fancy house. Um, my dad was never going to be rich because there, were too many, too, there was too much need in the world. Mm. Um, so he was never going to be really wealthy because there were too many 
just keep on giving it away. Yeah, there was too many people to, to give you time to and your food and so on. And um, there's a real sound effect which is coming through. Mate, very it's... Loud. Thunder has come back. It's kind of yeah. awesome. Like, I'm actually happy to just keep rolling, to be honest. Like, um... Well, my mother used to say that if she hadn't been baptised in the Spirit and become a Pentecostal, she would have been a salvo, for sure. She yeah, okay. the Salvation Army, you know, because that was the... And we always had very close relationships with the Salvation Army in Nowra, uh, Newtown, I can't remember, but uh, certainly in Liverpool, we were very close to the Salvation Army people. Um, and um, and we're always supporting their ministry. You know, our, our whole church congregation, particularly the young people, would go out and collect as a group on, on Red Shield Appeal Day, you know. Yeah. Um, and we, we always had fellowship with them as well, but, but it was that, that was the approach. And I think the others, you know, like the, some of the other Pentecostal families that we were close to, the, the Bakers, um, were Salvation Army with the baptism in the Spirit, which wasn't accept, accepted at that, in those early days. Yeah. So, um, but, um, you know, General Booth who started the Salvation Army was very much always a hero. Yeah. You know, a hero in terms of the way he well, believed. Look, we, we might actually pause that there because that is getting quite... We've kind of spoken about early childhood, relationship yep. with brothers and sisters, and we've kind of definitely been touching on, you know, who your dad was and what he was like. Yeah. I'd love to get on to Nan next. Right. Um, but we'll, we'll call that part one, and um, as soon as we get a chance, we will... To kick off a part two, I believe. But until then, uh, this has probably been episode four and um, probably come back for part two a little bit later. Okay, goodbye.